This is Eric Bohl, Missouri Farm Bureau's Director of Public Affairs. Welcome to Around the Kitchen Table, our weekly podcast where we talk about the things our members are talking about around their kitchen tables. Today I'm joined by Beverly Hallberg, President of District Media Group. So pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to our podcast, Beverly. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you here. I've, we've actually known each other for quite a while. And, How many years now? Oh, goodness. Uh, I was trying to think of that earlier. I six? think Is that right? That's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. We met back when I was out in D.C. And um, I Before was... Before you left the swamp. <laughs> exactly. I was a swamp creature at the time. Yeah. And I've since... I, I keep telling... I've told my family this many times, but I began my life as an attorney which my my grandmother always said that was the one thing that I she didn't want me to be because then she'd be embarrassed of me. And so, you know, I started there. Then I went to Congress and yep. now I'm technically registered as a lobbyist. So You're one of the most hated people <laughs> that there can be in I the country. I keep going down, down, I down. I don't think there's anything lower. Maybe joining the media, maybe the only place yes. I could pull as lower. Long, yeah, <laughs> as long as you're not fake news, I'm sure it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's a step up. Exactly. So we did meet back when I was out in D.C. and um, I was working for Congresswoman Hartzler as uh, her her chief of staff. And one of the things that we were involved in was something that was fairly sensitive issue, a conservative issue that um, was hard to talk about. And so someone suggested that we get in touch with you to maybe talk with her a little bit about ways to communicate better. And we uh, just brought you in to, to work with her a little bit on a few things and got to know each other pretty well. And over the years, we've you know, stayed in touch and we were really excited to have you. We're, we're recording here from our annual meeting at Tantera, and we are going to be speaking at our general session uh, about some of the ways you can communicate and advocate better for um, your in your daily life, the things that you do. So it's great to have you here, and Thank I you. really appreciate it. I will also say I am super nervous <laughs> because, number one, you're a communications professional, yes. and I'm not. Um, but, I have that dreaded title of media consultant. Most people don't trust me. It's not quite as right. bad as lobbyists, but yeah, it's a, little, a few steps uh, above, I'd say. Yeah, and you don't have the law degree, so you know you're That's even right. better than I'm me. Very, I'm very uneducated in comparison to most people right. in DC. I only have a bachelor's degree. You don't need it to do uh, no communications work. Is something that's based on your your work ability, not some diploma hanging on your wall. <laughs> and that's probably a better way to go. Well, and. You know, we, the reason I'm so nervous too, and I just displayed why, is you are also the host of a podcast called Filler Words. And I've also told, you know, my, my, uh, my sound engineer that my podcast is about 90% composed of filler words. So I apologize for that, but I hope you're not. No, I, I, I think that's flattering and I'm, I love that you (laughs) listen to it and you've given us feedback. It's fairly new. So I co-host it with Mike Pratt, who is the digital services service director at the American enterprise Institute in Washington, DC. So we only started it in about may. So it's newer for both of us. So thank you for listening and giving feedback and I'm glad you listen. Yeah. And what what all do you do? Like what's your goal with filler words? Oh gosh. Well, it, I, it wasn't even my idea. I've known Mike Pratt for a long time. Uh, we've worked together on various projects and we just have a good friendship. And mm-hmm. he said to me, why don't we do a podcast? Yeah. I was like, all right, podcasts are on the rise. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do find that 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 is fairly interesting. And, and I, I've, I've been kind of looking into why podcasts are on the rise just from a communication standpoint. I think it's a variety of factors, but I think one of, one of the reasons is I think people are trying to 
push back on the soundbite culture that we have. Soundbites, of course, do rule media, especially when you have Twitter these days um, with how many characters you have. And I think there is a desire for people to connect and fully understand issues and podcasts are done in an entertaining way. And, and it, it also has features that you would see in social media and that you can self-select what you want to listen to. So you mm-hmm. can have a certain niche. So what Mike and I wanted to do since we both work in communication was to focus on communication flops and wins and make it fun. And since I give out tips with my company, communication tips, we thought we'd turn it into a podcast that focuses on what's happened in culture and sports and politics and the news. And these days it's all kind of blending together. (laughs) And then to bring on different guests who work in the communications field for people to learn from. So whether that's a producer from Fox News who we've had on, um, people who are social media gurus. We have someone coming on this week who is a video producer. So to talk about making videos. So I've really enjoyed it. It it does take time. I know you know having a podcast, it takes time. But it's been something that's allowed me so so I, I help other people talk about their issues mm-hmm. and it's given me a way to talk about my expertise in communication. So yeah. I've had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and I think that one of the one of the reasons that it is popular, one of the reasons I have enjoyed podcasts over the years is it allows you to develop a relationship with the person on the other end of the microphone. Um, the person who is, uh, is, is the host, I feel like you get to know them a lot better through their conversations and especially ones like yours with Mike where you're you're really telling about your opinions and your daily interactions and your view of your take on things, you know, where you're talking yeah. about the, um, the news of the day or the, uh, political things going on, or even your love of the golden state warriors. Yes. <laughs> Who I, I was watching before the game finished right before I came down did they here. Win? They did. Oh, well, I'm they glad. They destroyed the heat. Congratulations so, yes. on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, get to, you, I feel like you really developed that connection. So, Hopefully we'll get to that point. Yeah, you know, some you're, you're someday, there. someday we'll get there too. Um, but yeah, I really do appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us uh, all the way from DC to come down to Tantara to uh, talk to our our annual meeting, which is our 103rd annual meeting. Farm Bureau has been around a long time. Missouri Farm Bureau has been around a long time, and we are very proud of what we do. But we also have a lot of opportunity to grow and change, and things have changed a lot in those 103 years. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just don't do the the agricultural thing anymore like they did when Farm Bureau started. So we're really looking forward to hearing from you at the the general session to hear some of your tips. But before we get into that, could uh, why don't you tell us a little more about your your background and sure. you know how you got involved and what you do now. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I'm officially a Washingtonian now because I moved there 17 years ago. So which is kind <laughs> of hard to believe. Yeah. Um, originally, to start originally it. from an agricultural community in California, the Central Coast. So mm-hmm. Hollister, California is where I grew up. We're known for apricots and almonds, although they would say almonds. Really? And yeah, most people the almond, almond farmers call them almonds. I've never heard anyone say that that yeah. way. Huh. We always argue about pecans and pecans and yeah those kind of things, but I haven't heard yeah, that there was even a debate there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I never lived in a house that didn't have a lemon tree already growing in the backyard. So oh. agriculture was just a big thing. I would say 
um, produce alone was the biggest switch for me moving to DC. Yeah. I was like, this is not an avocado. <laughs> this is not, it's not supposed to be this hard. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I, uh, there was an internship that opened up. I was working or studying radio and television broadcasting. And before my senior year, I went to Washington DC to work for a nonprofit organization that had a studio. It was great. They said, do you want to come work here after your senior year? And I was like, great. I don't have to look for a job. I have a job already built in. And so it's called the Leadership Institute. And not only did we produce videos there, but also they, it's a training organization. Yeah, so very well respected. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I started taking over the training of helping people be interviewed about a year after I got there. Oh. And so I was there for about seven and a half years, did a lot of um, freelance video production works. My background really is in producing and editing mm-hmm. and just realized that most people freeze up once the camera um, is recording. Mm-hmm. And so I, I looked into the market and who was helping people with media training and helping them be comfortable and, and be prepared and concise and responses. And unless you're a part of a PR firm where somebody had just a small aspect of that, nobody was really doing it. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to develop the business, started district media group almost 10 years ago. And now have been training members of Congress, which is where I I, uh, met you, training state legislators. I really like working on the state level is another Mm -hmm. reason I'm excited to be here today. But also um, policy, um, policy analysts, individuals in academia. Um, We even work with venture capitalists. So these days, it's very common for people to have to speak on camera. We also do public speaking training as well. So Mm -hmm. just overall a communications firm. Wow. Yeah, you definitely have a, a lot on your plate. And you travel quite a bit for your yeah. work, don't you? How, where, how often are you on the road? This month, I'm every week I'm gone. So I'll have a few days wow. back. But um, I'd say I'm on the road once every 10 days. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a bit. I bet you're racking up the miles. You so, do. And you stick with one airline and it's <laughs> beneficial. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Um, I guess the other big question I have then is what do you do with Dre when you're on the road? Yes, I do have an English bulldog. He is, since he's a bully, he's named after Draymond Green of the Warriors, who <laughs> is the bully if people are basketball fans right. out there. Um, well, I currently sold my condo and I'm living with my best friend and she has a black lab and nice. they hang out together. So yeah, when buddies. she travels, I watch and vice versa. That yeah. is really nice. But I'll always miss him terribly. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. He's so cute. He he's is. adorable. He's, I love seeing his pictures. He's <laughs> not a very good dog as far as he's very, he's, he's gets scared and is very anxious about everything. He was separated from his siblings or when he was his litter because yeah. they all scared him. So Aww. he's very good with people he knows, yeah. but new people. Well, yeah. But he takes great photos. He's very photogenic. He is. And yeah. that's where I know him from because I've never met him myself. Yeah. But I always, uh, I love English Bulldogs just because of the fact that they look so old and grumpy. Mm-hmm. And I've always aspired to be an old and grumpy person. Yeah. So I feel like they're kind of my spirit animal and I'm someday going to be just like an English Bulldog, wrinkly, grumpy, and old. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I aspire to. Anyway. Well, um, we did want to uh, get to get yeah. to talk a little bit more about what it is that you're uh, you're here to talk about with us at, at our at our annual meeting. Um, one of the one of the biggest problems we face, like as I mentioned, is that um, there's a big disconnect between what farmers and ranchers do and what the public's understanding is of it. And you know, we showed some kind of funny examples at um, at our at our dinner the, actually this evening of people saying stupid things on the street, you know, the chocolate milk comes from brown cows and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, Congressman Jason Smith uh, told a story about how uh, he was asking a, um, 
a state senator, I believe it was, where hamburger meat comes from. And she said, well, everyone knows it's when the cow sheds its weight once a year. And he just looked at her like, you got to be kidding me, right? And oh that's what she thought. Yeah. And he said, no, when they shed it once in their life. Um, so those type of things. And that's, you know, a very well-educated person, uh, a person with a master's degree who thinks that. And, uh, and an elected official, even more scary. But those are the type of things that we're yeah. really facing in our industry. And what the point of our um, annual meeting this year is just to show, to try to display that it's not someone else's job to turn that around or to change, to, to spread the story. It's every individual's job to tell that story. And it's a hard story to tell because there's a lot of emotion involved. So what are some of the things that you're going to talk with us about and tips we can take? Well, I want to start with just a little bit of context in that. I think the, the, when it comes to the agricultural community and even talking about farming and ranching, I would have never thought this would be an occupation that could be demonized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but there's been an increasing amount of demonization of food and how it's processed mm-hmm. and almost has become a religion for people in how right. they think about how they eat. And I think people should be able to make great decisions about what they eat and they should know what's in it. And that's all well and good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot, a lot of misinformation. So one of the tips I'm going to give tomorrow is when you do have this almost demonization of people in this industry, History, you have this lack of information because it's not true what people are saying. There's often a defensive posture and mm-hmm. a strong desire to fully educate people, and then people don't want to listen to you. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's like, let me cram all this stuff into your head so you realize that we're right and you're wrong, right. or what right. you've been told is wrong. Right. And so a lot of this is, is finding ways people that you interact with, first of all, listen to them. So a lot about communicating well is listening and finding out your audience, what is it that they care about? Right. So this individual, is it GMOs that they think are horrible? Well, do they understand what GMOs are? And could you explain that? Um, Are they worried about the way animals are treated? So try to find that touch point about why this individual cares about what they do. So there's listening. Because sometimes you're going to determine there's not any point in talking to someone um, if their mind's already made up and they're not willing to hear. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to know who should you have a conversation with, who should you not. And from there, it's um, trying to find common ground with people. So let's say you do have somebody who thinks animals are treated um, poorly, um, whether it's cattle or pigs or fill in the blank, is to start with, I agree with you. We want um, cattle to be treated well. Mm-hmm. I care about the animals um, on, on our farm. Mm-hmm. So to show that there is a care, find that common ground before you get into where maybe where there is some misinformation. So I find common ground. If you can agree on a goal, then people tend to listen to where you disagree on how to get there. Right, sure. Um, so common ground is a big one, but a lot of this is about sharing your own personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling very few people have a negative view of farmers and ranchers if they grew up around it. Yeah. So a lot of it is using your own examples to illustrate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what's the most um, powerful thing is figure out what what do people care about, find the common ground, and then share your own story about what you do in in your own agricultural business. That's great advice. And that that reminds me of when I was in D.C., I had taped up to my the bottom of my monitor uh, on my computer, the the phrase that, and I don't know that he's the one that necessarily invented this, but it was attributed to him a few times that Jack Kemp um, had the, the Kemp rule, which I think Paul Ryan is the one who talks about as the Kemp rule. And that is, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
and you have to start with that. Yeah. Um, and we try to talk about that as well in, in the uh, our public affairs department that it's not about fighting against things. It's about fighting for people. And if there is, say, a um, uh, something that could be taken as a NIMBY issue and not in my backyard, you know, we, we have a power line that's trying to be put in across northern Missouri. It's called the, the Clean Line or the Grain Belt Express that is taking farm uh, wind farm energy from like Kansas or Nebraska or something yeah. going across Missouri to be sold on the East Coast. And there's a lot of people that don't want that line to go through their yard. But it's it's not a, the, the way to tell that story is not to talk about how we don't want a power line. It's we want these people to be treated right and treat, be treated fairly. And when you talk about it from that perspective, it just completely changes the story and the perception of the listener. Yeah. And really, that's the point, right, is to change the mind of the person hearing the story, not to make you feel better for telling it yeah. and get it off your chest. Well, if I could even use an example of a movie that I don't think intended to highlight eminent domain, but the story was so powerful and it was about eminent domain. So it's from a few years back, but you have kids, so you probably yeah. have seen it um, up. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. By right. Pixar. Sure. When he, the older man. The grumpy was, old man. The grumpy which old I man. I did love that. Yes. Who Except looked like it was a bulldog. Ed Asner, and he is a little bit of a leftist, but hey, yeah. that's okay. But the construction workers were going to tear down his house right. to build, I forget whatever it was yeah. that there were some development. I'm pro development. I'm not an anti development <laughs> right. person, but I think people should be compensated appropriately if their house or farm, et cetera, is taken away. Right. Well, he tied balloons and flew it away. Mm-hmm. And the feeling that everybody has when they watch that is it was wrong for them to tear down his house exactly. because you felt something for him. Yeah. And so that's, a, that is that's exactly where he made what his memories. Mm-hmm. That's what he cared about was remembering that that's where he had been with his wife for all those years. And that was the whole first part of the movie was mm-hmm. showing I mean, his emotional connection like 10 to minutes it. in, I was already crying. <laughs> exactly. It was the saddest <laughs> movie that I've ever seen at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Usually those moments come at the end, but yeah. And that's exactly right. That's the type of story that we want. Uh, the, the way that we need to tell our story, I feel is, um, to look at it from that emotional perspective of why this thing, why these things matter to the people that are involved. And, um, and some of the things, like I mentioned, are, are, are challenging to talk about because your knee jerk reaction is, well, of course I want safe food and I can't explain what a GMO is. So I rather err on the side of caution and not, to, not eat it yeah. is how a lot of people see it. It's not more complicated than that. It's not cause they hate farmers. Yeah. Um, and it sounds bad. It just sounds bad. And so yeah. just by, I don't know if it sounds bad, it's safer. Just well, one, one phrase that I, I've heard works well, I was going to talk about this tomorrow. I was talking about it more from biotech mm-hmm. versus GMO. Yeah. Um, and, and to really focus on the technology aspect of this and modernization. Cause I think that really appeals to millennials. And mm-hmm. one, I, I like to give comparisons and analogies, um, to other industries so that people can relate. And, um, talking about modernization of farms and farming equipment, if people are anti that, I like to give this analogy, which is about movies. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go to Blockbuster? Or are you glad you can just download from your computer now? Like technology makes our lives better and faster and we can do it in a safe and natural way still. So trying to use other industries to illustrate it can also be helpful because people have almost this nostalgic feeling about farming that it has right. to be done in a certain way. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I think nostalgia is a really good word to describe some of the disconnect we have. Yeah. Um, because my wife always used to laugh about this when we were in, in DC, we would go out to like, what's that farm where like the kids, they can go on the slides and 
Is that the corn maze and whatnot? Yeah, it's one of those kind of things. And they like jump on the little bouncy thing. And we always joked about that because my wife is, she comes from a true farming family. Sure. They are large uh, farmers down the boot hill. They have like cotton and all the, you know, Southern crops and stuff. And um, so she has been involved or around farming all her life. We'd go out to this, this farm and this quote unquote farm and it would be, they'd have like the, the man dressed in the overalls. Always with overalls, the, you know, It sure. was almost like a piece of hay coming out of his mouth. And like, it was a caricature of a farmer. Mm-hmm. And she'd always laugh about how like her Virginia friends or her DC friends thought that's what every farmer was like. And that every farm was like that corn maze and bounce house thing. Like that's not really what modern agriculture is. It's like a multi-million dollar business often. Um, it's very sophisticated. And people think of, just uh, old McDonald and it's very much more advanced than old McDonald. But since they're so far removed from it and they don't even have any family that's ever been involved in farming, of course that's what they think. Yeah. So that's something that's really challenging and it's probably going to just grow as a challenge. Well, corn grows in grocery stores, don't you know? That's where (laughs) it comes from. Yeah. And the other story (laughs) that was in that video that we showed a little while ago is that uh, our director of agriculture state, our Missouri state director of agriculture as a woman named Chris Chen. And she, a few years ago, was the American Farm Bureau um, Young Farmer and Ranchers Chairman, the national one. And she was at some meeting in New York City where this woman was telling everybody at the table real loudly how she was against animal cruelty, and so that's why she was a vegetarian, and on and on. And then they go to the buffet line, and the woman loads her plate up with chicken wings. They get back, and um, the guy next to Chris asks this lady, I thought you said you were a vegetarian. She's like, yeah. And the guy's like, well, then why are you eating those chicken wings? And she holds one up and goes, well, these grow back. <laughs> yeah, the gasp. Exactly. Oh, my like, goodness. Wow. How can you be that out of touch with what with yeah. reality? But that's what we're up against. So it's a challenging thing. And I think that your your tips about listening first um, that is the hardest step. It's hard. It's the first step, but it's and it's the most effective step, but it's probably the hardest step. And I like the even the podcast used to talk about the kitchen table, and and I do think so many of these issues, they you change public opinion based on everybody talking to the people in their lives. Uh-huh. You have to have that personal connection. So I do think that there is a deep divide between federal and states these days, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy coming and working on the state level with individuals because I, I see that's where a lot of movement can happen. Yeah. <laughs> D.C., it's... Uh, it changes, DC changes the narrative, but I see where there's really change in the way people think about things is usually in local communities sure. and who they interact with. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think it is a good idea to talk to the people in your life. That's how you change things. One of, one of the things I like to do, I was even was mentioning to you, I was in Charlotte yesterday, talking to people what they think about different policy issues. Mm-hmm. Had a long conversation with my 21-year-old nephew about net neutrality. I wanted to see what he thought. He mm-hmm. loves computers. And um, I try to get myself outside of it to just, what are people thinking? What are they hearing? Um, because you have to have insight into them before you can even communicate. I, sure. I often feel DC is talking, just, just cross, they're not even connecting with people because yeah. they don't even know what they care about. Right. They're they're telling them what they want to say rather than trying to figure out what the other person needs to hear yeah. or wants to hear and how they could connect with them. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely right. And I do I, I appreciate exactly what you said about seeing 
that on the local level and the state level, you can actually affect more change. I think that's one of the things that sometimes I got a little bit frustrated and disenchanted in D.C., as I think everyone does on some level when they work there, with feeling like you, you aren't making any difference and you keep doing the same thing month after month, year after year, having the same arguments over and over and nothing seems to change. And on that local level, things actually can move and change. Yeah. So I think that that is really where you, you know, people hear so much on the news about um, the the national issues. But if they would go to their city council or their or run for state rep, you can actually pass laws, and you know, the governor actually signs the bills. It's it's weird how things actually move and get done on a smaller local level. Um, and that is a way that Farm Bureau has actually been extremely effective. Yeah. Um, in the past 103 years, is that uh, they've developed that grassroots system of every county has a farm bureau, every county has a board. And so they are by default required to have a lot of people involved in the system. And they learn how to work together with other counties and get things moved. And that's how my boss got started. Vicki uh, Hartzler began as county um, a county board member in Farm Bureau and was the county president. And then I was just uh, looking through our, our list of like county presidents last night because we had to announce like, who won the gold stars for whatever. And as I was reading through those names, I thought, man, a lot of these people sound really familiar. And then I realized, oh, that's because they were Vicky's county coordinators for her campaign. And she met them because of her service in Farm Bureau. Yeah. And it really is that gra- grassroots ground up. It, it works. It makes a big difference. And then if you really want to go make change in Washington, maybe that's a way to get started. Well, I'd say one place you could make some changes are EPA regulations, because yeah. <laughs> those, yeah. I would say for farmers, that's the agricultural community, that's got to be one of the toughest or the EPA yeah. regulations, because of course, those aren't done on the state and local level. Those mm-hmm. are done from um, the federal bureaucracy. And I think those oftentimes are the hardest areas to message and talk right. to people about. And that's where one of the themes I like to bring out when it comes to some federal regulations is that people who own this land will take better care of it than the government right? and try to get that feeling like they care about the land. It right. is their livelihood. And because I, I think when we, when people think you hear about these regulations, well, you know, we want to keep the land safe and clean and all these things. That's a great common ground. Sure. Awesome. Uh, we all agree with we that. We all agree with that, but who does it better? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it requires more education and knowledge about how to properly do that. And, you know, we saw that in the 1930s with the Soil uh, Conservation Service after the Dust Bowl. The government started a program, but by and large, a lot of it was education about better practices. And they were implemented. And we haven't had that problem come back since because the farmers are taking care of their land in another way. And and also, that's a big role of extension, which uh, our land grant universities are very good at. And very involved. They're 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 really the other the only other entity that has an office in every county across the state because they're kind of they're required to to be involved in every county and spread that um, spread that knowledge out to the people on the ground so that they know how to do it. And I think you're right. That's um, one of the hardest issues to message is is those regulations and uh, from environmental perspective. And probably one of the most effective things that Farm Bureau's done in Missouri over the past few years is when that Waters of the U.S. Uh, regulation came out. We have, you know, I think sometimes, it, especially on regulatory issues, we have this tendency to talk like we're accountants and talk about the numbers and talk about the facts in the subsection SP, yeah. you know, sub subcategory one. And that doesn't get across to people. And one of the things that Farm Bureau did, and this is well before my time here, but they decided, you know what? Let's put together a parody video of 
the Let It Go song from Frozen, which mm-hmm. was hot back then. And um, so they had the Andy and Casey Clay, um, or farmers from close to here, and they went out there and basically put a canoe on their dirt, you know, in this little like ditch that had no water in it and, and had her sing a kind of a cheesy parody of let it go about how the, um, the government's trying to regulate their land, but it's just a dry ditch. There's nothing here. There's no water. Um, and that took off mm-hmm. and actually the EPA administrator came to Missouri. This really? is, yeah, the, the Democrat, um, under Obama and, and responded to that, campaign in like, directly saying that that was a myth that our message was a myth and we got their attention by something doing something totally out of the ordinary but sometimes you have to break through a little bit by taking a little bit of a different approach and helping people visualize it right yeah the the visual aspect whether that's you giving an example in story form, verbal form to somebody or making a video those things are really effective yeah you want you need to put a face to what's going on. We've talked a lot about that since I, since I started, we're, we're going to do our best over the next few uh, weeks and months to try to identify more of those faces for each of the policy issues that we're, that we're working on as an organization so that we um, can try to tie all those abstract concepts to personal stories uh, more effectively. And it's not easy. That's hard work to, to go out and find those good stories. And then and it takes a lot of convincing and, um, oh, yeah. to your bosses who like numbers that <laughs> yeah. this is a great idea. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you you really do have to put in a lot of legwork to, to do those those type of things. But, hey, that's kind of what our structure is made for, too. That's another benefit of the ground up approach of Farm Bureau is we do know people in every county. And uh, if they're affected by an issue, we're going to be able to uh, identify them and and try to get them involved. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited about the yeah. opportunities we have with that and with the things that you're talking about. I think that we can, we really can make a difference down the road. And I would even say another thing that people can do is if there is something going on, um, individuals can contact their local newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. Often they'll let you write some type of op-ed about it or they might interview you for a story. So letting them know, like contacting the the local newspaper, the local news station, and seeing if they will do a story on it. So even allowing yeah. yourself to share your story in local media can be really effective too. Yeah, and and also one more thing is uh, regarding lawmakers. They are so much more affected by, um, say, five individual people coming up to them in person and talking to them about the issue, than they are five thousand emails coming into their you know, their email system yeah. because it, that just becomes a statistic. I mean, it's, it's similar to the, the old Stalin quote about, you know, one death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a statistic. It's kind of like that on <laughs> a much happier note, but with, uh, with those individual stories. So that's why part of what we're also working on for next year is to, to set up individual one-on-one um, meetings with Congress people from Missouri and their constituents and, have a coffee with a congressman and have that FaceTime for an hour to sit down and tell what's going on in this area. And I think that that's something, another opportunity that Farm Bureau can help be a facilitator to just bring the two parties together. Um, And we're going to put a lot of effort into that to try to bring, and and then on the state level as well, we're bringing people to the Capitol to talk directly with their lawmakers more often in the, in the next few months. So I'm actually really excited about where we're headed with communications um, and doing, (laughs) trying to, take to heart your advice and actually implement it. 
Um, so we'll see where things go. We'll have to circle back in like a year yeah. and see where things have gone. That's exciting. Yeah. So before we go, you um, one of the things I love about Filler Words, your podcast, is that at the end of every episode when you have an interview, you spring a quiz on them. Yes. So I'm going to do that to you. Yes. See what you think about it. Okay. So what we're going to do is play your game called Who Said That? Okay. I tried to make it easy, as I easy know. as I could, because I know I'm that ag policy is not necessarily <laughs> your number one thing. But um, okay, so here's our quote. Since I was a boy, born into a farming family in Bonaire, Georgia, I've had agriculture running through my veins. Who said that? Can I ask when it was said? Oh, it was said fairly recently. Within the past few months, I, I would know. say. It's going to be a, an elected official. Or an appointed official. Oh, I don't know. Is it the... See how fun this is? So I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm not going to guess. Okay. I'm going to guess wrong. So I will go ahead and yeah. get the... Da, da, da. It was Sonny Perdue, okay. the USDA secretary, Got secretary it. of agriculture. He was also the governor of Georgia before okay. coming to Washington, D.C. earlier this year. So, well... That was a that was a tough wah, one wah, if you're wah. not no, deeply okay. involved in agriculture, <laughs> but well, I'll give you a pass since that's not your uh, your specific policy part. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Thank Beverly. You. And for the people who uh, are interested in learning more about your work yeah. and following what you do, where can they find you? So, District Media Group. You can just go to the website, or you can follow me on Twitter at Bev Hallberg. Um, and, and if you how do you spell Hallberg? H A L L B E R G. And on the website, if you have if anyone listening has any interest in this, we send out a communications tip every Tuesday. You can sign up on the homepage on the website, and my promise to anyone who signs up is I will never sell your email address. So you will get <laughs> one a email a week at the most ever. So we are very protective of our emails yeah. as well. So like my boss has said many times that's the most valuable asset that we possess for our members. So we yeah. are very cautious. Um, and also, you know, I, when I was, uh, when we were setting up this conference and we were trying to uh, figure out who the best speakers would be, one of the, I think the way that I pitched this the most to my boss to, to reach out to you was, um, that you're often a contributor on national TV network news or uh, not net network, but cable network news, yeah. I suppose. Um, where can, can people find you there? Is that more sporadic and just kind of when it comes up or what? It's I'm I'm on either Fox News or Fox Business around three times a week mm -hmm. um, or when I'm traveling more, it's harder. But yeah, yeah. I am, I'm on um, Fox Business's Charles Payne show. Mm -hmm. So um, the six o'clock show and often do Fox News on weekends. So that's where Wonderful. you can see me. Yeah. Well, but it's kind of sporadic. It just depends. I mean, yeah. I don't comment on hurricanes or North Korea, but I... I do talk a lot about policy and communication. Yeah. I talk about Twitter a lot these days because right? the president tweets a lot. So that <laughs> ends that's up a, being a lot of questions that I... That's understandable. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I know as also as a woman in Washington, D.C., I think you've had a lot to talk about as well about how to respond to crises. Um when men didn't necessarily behave well. I've been talking a lot about tax policy and sexual harassment. Those have been the... How fun. It's Two been, exciting, it's exciting topics. <laughs> well, hopefully yeah. uh, things That's will great. turn and you'll have more <laughs> interesting things you'd rather talk about. So yeah. anyway, well, I appreciate it again. You taking the time to come well, and talk Well, thank with you. Us. I'm excited to be here. 
Great. Well, uh, we also look forward to hearing uh, what you have to say tomorrow uh, during our general session. To our listeners, thank you for joining us as you do every week. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our podcast. And please shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter if you have any ideas for future episodes. We'd love to take those up. Until next week, we are signing off. Thank you. Thank you.